Welcome to the Guidelines Podcast, a once every two weeks discussion about applying user-centered design within South Africa. My guest this week is founder and Sand Dollar Design Head of Consulting, Yaku van der Hever. With a background in business and having led and grown UX teams in telecommunications, banking, and now in his own company, Yaku has a firm grounding in the practical benefits and application of UX. We met up at his home in Pretoria and broke down the fundamentals of UX, Yaku's vision for healthcare in South Africa, as well as advice on how to advocate for user-centered design and companies that have yet to see its value. Enjoy. Um, yes, no, thanks for having me, Jonathan. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I've been involved in the UX industry for over 13 years now. Sure. And it's really been an exciting journey, um, yeah. one that I didn't actually plan, um, it just kind of happened to me. Cool. Um, so. Same. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, and over the course of your career, you've worked at a number of different companies, like telecommunications, and what other sectors have you worked in? Um, so, I started my career in the banking industry. Um, so when I was in the banking industry, I actually started as a business analyst and um, I just happened to be put on a project to do this new thing that Standard Bank heard about, mm. um, which was called UX design. And um, yeah, that's where I actually got introduced to it. Um, when was this? So this was back in, I think, 2006. Sure. Yeah, so quite a long time ago. Because to me, UX is a new thing. Like when I heard about it two years ago, there was... Is massive in my mind as like this brand new feel, but it's been around for a while then. Mm, so, well, it's been, I think internationally, it's been around for about 20 years. Sure. Um, that it was a little, like a well-known concept and that people actually started buying into it on a large scale. But in South Africa, I would say mainstream, it's only been around for about 10 years. Um, Standard Bank was one of the first organizations that um, learned about it um, by actually seeing it in international conferences and things like that. Mm. So they decided very early on to invest um, on quite a large scale into it. Mm. Um, so to start off, they brought in international consultants to come and help build some of the UX capability in the organization. Mm. And then they started growing people inside the company. Um, either by taking people like myself who were like BAs um, and they moved them into UX roles um, and they started specifically hiring people that um, were now coming through in the field of UX design later on. Sure. And now they've grown to a team where they've actually got like almost 100 designers working within the organization. Mm. Sure, that's massive. The interesting thing about UX is I think it's often in tech you can find buzzwords and for me, I go back and forth between this understanding of UX and also then um, feeling quite confused and seeing how broad it is. What do you understand UX as being? So for me, um, the key aspect of user experience is actually um, using data about users or customers to drive your whole design process. Um, so the whole design process for me actually should start where you go and obtain as much insights and data about the people that are going to use the systems or the proposed solutions um, and then you use that data and insights to actually guide you in the design process. Mm. Um, you can also use other forms of um, inputs like looking at best practice for example or leveraging on the experience of your team members to come up with good solid designs and then the last step of the process would always be to validate those designs with real users. 
Um, so we always conduct usability testing to make sure that whatever you've kind of hypothesized with your designs are actually valid and that they work for that set of users. Mm. Um, and one of the other aspects that also um, gets forgotten quite a lot is that um, UX design is typically done in order to achieve a certain objective or goal. So it's very important to have a clear understanding of the business goals that you're trying to achieve mm. and to really understand the underlying strategy and the business itself that you're designing this for. Mm. Um, and lastly, also to balance out the, the user and the business objectives with the technology that's available. Mm. Um, so what happens is if you forget about the technology, um, for the whole design process and you only think about the technology afterwards um, you might actually be misaligned so sometimes technology can allow you to do better things and other times technology creates a constraint and um, that actually then takes away from your design so you always have to bring a balance between the user the business and the technology mm. um, and that space is actually where i see ux operating in um, quite a lot it's basically like data data driven data-driven design that's aligned with business exactly yeah okay. so everything not that's, just aesthetics yeah. Yeah, everything that you do in ux should really be data-driven okay um, you shouldn't just design stuff because you think it looks beautiful and sure. you think something should work in a certain way okay and i think that's one of the most humbling things is when you design something even though you are very experienced and you've used best practice and all these other inputs mm. when you validate it with actual users many times you get surprised by <laughs> which things you assumed would work well it just makes sense from a design perspective mm. but the users just don't get it mm. um, so it's always a amazing learning experience to test your designs with real users mm. i remember when i first started hearing about ux i went and sat down with someone who was working in, in it and I, I showed him a website that I was working on and like it was a very it was a beautiful website but there were some functionality things that like were obvious to me but weren't obvious to him and I kept on saying yeah it's beautiful but it's not usable it's beautiful but it's not usable which I think that's interesting um, you mentioned testing how does one go about effectively testing in UX and what, what does it mean to, to test and, and how, how does one do it um, so user testing is um, probably one of the core principles um, of the user experience mm. process. Um, and for me, if you had to actually choose a tool from the toolbox of UX, it would be user testing. So if you've okay. got limited budget or time or some constraints, mm. I would always recommend to not take out the user testing aspect. Mm. Um, and what we do with user testing is we... Um, firstly, try to find a set of users that match the profile of the people that are actually going to end up using your system or your solution. Mm. Um, so if it's for kind of broad customer consumption, we would actually find people to recruit the real types of customers that you would typically go and market this product or service to. Mm -hmm. um, and then in the testing, what you you do a couple of things, but the main objective of the testing is not to get people's opinion about what they think of the system that you've designed. What you actually want to do is to give them a couple of tasks to perform, and those are the tasks that will help you as an organization achieve your goals and objectives. Mm -hmm. And you then actually observe and see whether the users are able to perform those tasks successfully. Mm -hmm. So... Um, when you see they become stuck on certain steps along the way, you start probing and understanding, like, is it a label they don't understand? Or 
does the steps not make sense to them or is the user interface confusing to them in some way so um, as they go through this task you would then see which of your designs actually work and which ones need to be improved okay. um, and you can then probe and discuss with the users where they're getting stuck um, and to understand what we call their mental model so actually how they think um, so by doing that with at least eight users from a specific segment of users you could typically pick up 80 percent or more of your usability issues mm -hmm. um, and that would really help you to elevate your designs to a whole new level sure so ideally it's done in person so definitely in person if you mm. can um, there are some remote usability testing tools available mm. um, so it, you know it always depends on how available are the users in the place where you're actually located mm. So um, let's say you're designing something for an American company, mm. then you would probably use an online testing tool. Mm. Um, so examples of this would be stuff like usertesting.com. Mm. Um, but locally, we typically tend to test in person. Um, okay. You just get much richer data. Mm. Um, and the remote testing stuff, you typically don't get to interact with the users yeah. uh, during the test. Get the nuances. Yeah, so it's not a moderated mm. test. It's typically an unmoderated test. Where the in-person stuff, it's moderated, so you're sitting there next to the uh, user and actually probing and asking questions. Mm -hmm. um, and then another thing, so there's always this debate in the UX world about whether a UX designer should be the one testing their own designs. Mm. So um, I think this debate will always be valid and relevant, mm. but um, the value in actually getting the designer themselves to test is that they actually understand the questions they had in their mind when they were going through the design process. Mm. And when they are the ones testing, they can actually start almost playing back those questions to the users to see if there was some thinking that they did during the design process that was maybe flawed or not informed by enough data. Mm. So just because they've got so much context about the designs, they get much better insights uh, by actually facilitating the testing themselves. Sure, and then they can directly go from testing to working on it again and iterating right away. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I think the opposite uh, principle would be don't kind of mark your own homework. So mm. uh, because what you know some people might try and do is to almost, um, while they're facilitating the testing, to sway the users by mm. asking questions in a certain leading way mm. and getting them to the right answers instead of really testing the design, making sure the design is working properly. Okay. So I think this is where, you know, kind of ethics of design come in and you need to be mature enough to actually say, yes, I've designed this thing and there might be flaws. So let's try our best to identify the flaws and get the product to its best state instead of designing something to say that I'm the best designer in the world and there will not be any flaws with my design. Mm. And let me prove this by facilitating a good test. Mm. Sure. What's interesting is I had a chance to play with uh, eye tracking software last year, which is a form of user testing where basically you can track the user's eye movements. And you can see that where they're actually looking at on the product. Have you used that much? Um, has it been something that's been valuable or is it more of a buzz thing? Um, so eye tracking isn't that uh, widely used, um, sure. especially in the South African context. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say there's mainly two reasons for that. Mm -hmm. um, so the one is just pure time and cost. Mm -hmm. um, and the second thing is that a lot of eye tracking insights um, are actually established around well-known patterns. 
So um, mostly in design, you know that people will probably be on a desktop follow kind mm. of an F pattern. Mm. Um, and there's certain types of imagery and colors and things that will draw the eye's attention. Mm. So when you know those design principles, you can already embed them in your designs mm. um, without necessarily needing the eye tracking. Um, I think eye tracking is probably something that you will do at an advanced level sure. when you've done a lot of design iterations, a okay. lot of user testing, and you're looking for that extra 1% improvement. Mm, sure, um, that's so that's probably where eye tracking will be okay. useful. Um, but so more advanced testing as you go on. Okay. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I think especially from a cost versus benefits perspective, mm. Um, most of our clients typically benefit more from getting the basics right. Sure. Okay. Um, and we typically end up doing most of our work there. Um, it's not that often where you find people aiming to fine-tune the 1% improvements. Mm. Okay, that's fascinating. So over the past couple of years, as you mentioned, you've worked across a number of industries. And recently you've opened up your own company. Uh, tell us about Sand Dollar Design, why you started the company, what the vision is for the company, all that jazz. Um, yes, so I kind of stopped previously when I was at Standard Bank, um, mm. when I started my career in UX there. So towards the end of my six-year journey at Standard Bank, I started studying for an MBA. And during my MBA, I got the opportunity to go into the consulting world for mm. a company called BSG. Um, and BSG is a company that does kind of IT strategy consulting. Mm. And um, when I joined them, I immediately recognized that they also needed to beef up their skill set around user experience. Mm. So I helped them to establish a user experience team and to make it a core part of kind of their company's DNA. Mm. So I was really fortunate there that they bought into um, user experience on a big level. And I was literally able to uh, teach everyone in the organization from their CEO down to the most junior BA mm. on what it means to be truly user-centric. And um, after spending two years there, I got the opportunity to um, go to Vodacom and to head up their UX team. Mm. Um, so they just started up a brand new digital team mm. um, headed up by a very senior executive from Vodafone in the UK. Sure. And um, he basically asked me to come and join and start up the UX team. And I spent about four years at Vodacom. I managed the UX team. I built them up from quite a small team to quite a large team. And we did some amazing work over the years that I was there. Um, we built some award-winning apps. We redesigned their website a couple of times. And we really started embedding user centricity um, into the company's whole way of operating. Um, and you know, after four years there, I just felt that, um, you know, it was time for me to, to maybe look at some other options. And I've always had this ambition of starting my own company. Um, when I married my wife, it was actually one of the things that I said, I think it was about um, around 2010. And I told my wife that I would love to, by the age of 35, start my own company. Mm -hmm. And when I turned 35, I actually resigned from Vodacom um, in the same month. And um, I started up Sand Dollar Design. And yeah, I was given the opportunity to go and consult to a couple of companies, um, one including my old employer, Standard Bank. Hmm. Um, and I was able to use that as an opportunity to just grow this new business. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I just felt that 
you know, I could really use my own company to go and establish a real high standard of user experience um, across various industries. Mm. Um, and I've been really fortunate to be able to bring in people to the company that I really respect and that all have great attributes and skills as designers. Mm. So, um, yeah, our company is about two years old now, mm -hmm. and we've been working across a couple of industries, so banking, insurance, telecommunications, mm. as well as healthcare, mm. which is actually one of our big areas that we've got a passion in. On the website, it's very clear that health is an important thing that you want to focus on. Um, we've had fascinating conversations in the past about your thoughts on the public health sector in South Africa. I mean, it's something that everyone's had interaction with, and... When I think UX, I generally think of digital products. But I mean, public healthcare, you don't think that right away. Why are you interested in public healthcare? And why do you think you can do something of significance there? And how does Sandola tie in with that? So um, one of Sandola's uh, visions or our big dreams is uh, to really impact the healthcare landscape of South Africa um, and the world and beyond that. So we really believe that there's a lot of opportunities to improve healthcare and access to health for the majority of our um, country's public. And um, that there's a lot of gaps currently in the systems uh, that's you know, able to be improved. So if you, if you look at it from a patient perspective, there's mm. really a lot of scope there for improvement. Mm. Um, if you look at service delivery, Currently at clinics and hospitals, the queues are like days long. Mm -hmm. People have to, you know, take a day off from work if they just want to go and get their monthly medication. Mm -hmm. um, if they actually have a critical illness, they're very lucky if they can get helped in time for it not to turn into something serious. So there's just really a lot of need in that area. Um, and we feel, you know, as a company that we've got the correct skill sets to go in and make a difference in healthcare. Um, so for both public and private healthcare, um, we believe there's a lot of opportunities to still improve. Um, and for us, you know, one of the key things is that we um, have the skill sets of both um, people in design, as well as people that's actually working in the field of medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and we bring those two skill sets together to be able to bring what we call healthcare experience design uh, to our clients. And that's really just a combination of medical professionals and UX designers working together, not just to build computer systems mm. or apps, but actually, thing, yeah. uh, actually to redesign the whole service delivery aspect. It's mm, fascinating. Yeah, so we've branched out more into service design um, in the healthcare space because you can't just come in and bring in a system if the problems are so much bigger than just that. Mm. Okay, sure. That's a, it's absolutely massive, and it's a, it's a, the, the scale of it is 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 colossal. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, how how do you believe that people currently working within the South African public health sector can kind of do their bit? Uh, the one of the conversations I've had with someone else working in UX is specifically the problem with health is that there are so many different systems. There was some crazy step. They were like. 100 plus different systems in one hospital. Um, how does one go about fixing that specifically? I mean, because you don't want to add another system onto that. The whole system needs an overhaul. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so this is one of those kind of big sticky problems that doesn't have like a quick fix or mm -hmm. a nice solution that you can just say, 
take the solution, take this process, go and implement it everywhere. Yeah. Um, and because there's, you know, the human element is involved, um, plus you adding in factors such as government, um, you know, procurement processes, all of those things. So for me, it's um, really starting at a basic level um, with some small initiatives. Um, so what we're trying to do um, from our side is to create awareness um, in the healthcare industry that they actually have a gap around experience design. So um, I think the, the place where healthcare is at the moment in both private and public sector in South Africa and probably internationally is that they realize that their systems and their processes are not great mm. and they do need some help, but mm. they don't actually know what help they need. Mm. So I've seen a lot of examples, especially in the um, public sector, where they have now gotten a partnership with some company to bring in an app or a system. And they think that bringing in an app or a system is the silver bullet that's going to solve all the issues. Mm. Um, and I guess your this whole industry is in a place where they coming from like completely paper-based systems. Nothing is like properly stored electronically. There's no proper workflows in between the various parts of the process. And they think that by just bringing in a system or a computer is actually going to make it so much better. And maybe 10 years ago that was the case, and that's where banking and telecommunications was you know, 10 or maybe more years mm -hmm. ago, is yeah. that they did that transformation at that time. But in these days, you actually have the option to not just bring in a system or a computer to solve your problems. You can actually redesign that whole process from a user-centered perspective mm. and make sure that when you do bring in a system or an app that it's tailor-made to the needs of those mm. users. Mm. Um, and that for me is the big gap that needs to be addressed. Mm. So for us, it's really starting on a small scale, proving the value of UX mm. to these healthcare stakeholders. And when they start seeing it in action, mm. they will then buy in more and more to it. Mm. Um, and hopefully then the scale will start increasing across the board. Mm. It's that point once again that UX is not just about digital products. It's not just about apps or products on your computer or phone. It's about something more than that. It's about every point of interaction with the user. What is a product in South Africa that, has, that you can see as being applying UX incredibly well? So, yeah, there's a couple of examples mm. of um, good applications in South Africa. Mm. So the one thing that I would say um, first is that we haven't really seen a lot of good digital products being launched in South Africa mm. from the word go. Mm. So a lot of the ones that I'm going to tell you about now is actually like apps and systems that have evolved over time. Mm. And the key aspect is that these organizations have actually iterated on their designs over and over and over again mm. and made improvements to them and what we see today is a good user experience but if you looked at it a few years ago you might have been very frustrated as a user mm. so that's one of the core principles of ux as well is that it's an iterative process and should be a constant learning and improvement cycle mm. so um, one of the first examples that i would um, take is the Take Lot uh, website. Mm. So Take Lot started back in the day as two um, separate companies. So it used to be Kalahari yeah. and Take Lot, and they both actually started using just like pure e-commerce uh, patterns in their designs. Um, so they used like the likes of Amazon as inspiration, mm. 
and just basically made a carbon copy of what they saw there and so they actually started on quite a solid base um, but I think in terms of the actual fulfillment of those orders and things is where they initially um, didn't do so well mm. but over the years they've really um, like improved those processes and made it super slick fast and easy to come in if they know who you are you mm. press one button you're logged in mm. add stuff to your cart and you're out of there and you don't need to re-enter your car details your address any of those things so and there's trust that your stuff's going to actually arrive mm. yeah. and i mean that's been built up over the years it's yeah. not something that just happens overnight mm. um, so for me that's one good uh, experience that i can uh, talk about in south africa mm. then um, another one that i've got is the um luno app so luno yeah, luno's good yeah so luno is a cryptocurrency really trading good. tool yes yeah and um yeah so i you know when the um the boom Bitcoin hype was there you know everyone <laughs> dabbled around yeah, in, yeah. in crypto a little bit yeah. and some of us burnt our fingers yeah. <laughs> luckily not on any massive amount yeah um so what i just found with luno was that you know we um with traditional banks they have all really struggled with the onboarding process to mm. get people to sign up and immediately um, kind of authenticate themselves mm. as a real citizen, like proving their identity and immediately getting up and running with their account. Mm. So with Luno, it's literally a single experience. You go into the app or the website, I actually tried both, mm -hmm. and you are able to very easily create your profile um, authenticate yourself using your ID document or your driver's license mm. that happens instantly um, and the only thing that you need to do is to actually deposit some funds into your account to start trading mm. so and I was able to do all of that with a couple of hours sure. so for me that was a very slick experience mm. and obviously they because they launched in the last two years or so well that's when I became aware of them mm. they we're able to learn from the mistakes or the shortcomings of other similar kind of organizations. Mm. So I think they did that very well. And you can really see they've put in a lot of effort into thinking how to make this process as smooth and easy as yeah. possible for yeah. users yeah. to be able to quickly get up and running and start trading. Mm. Um, then another kind of single use um, app, which I found very practical in South Africa, especially these days, is called Eskom Sapush. <laughs> so yes. the name is very funny and controversial. <laughs> but um, for those of you maybe listening from other countries, um, South Africa has been struggling with our um, electricity supply um, for probably the better part of a decade now. Mm. And um, we've recently been pushed into what's called load shedding again. So load shedding is electricity cuts. And um, so on a daily basis, you will get cut at some point of the day and you don't ever actually know when you're going to get cut because there's various stages of load shedding. There's like stage one, two, three, and four. Mm. And every day's schedule for load shedding on level one, two, three, and four is different mm. for every area. So it's very difficult to keep track of when you're going to get load shedding. Mm. Um, and what this Eskom Push app does really well is that it's, created a quick and simple way for you to put in the places where you will be located so you can put in your home your office mm. or any other venues and then it basically pushes notifications to you to say that you are going to get load shedding at a certain time of the day mm. you can see forecasts 
um, and despite this app not really looking fantastic so the user interface isn't beautiful mm. but it's so practical and useful at the moment that i had to mention this is one of my, <laughs> my good examples of ux it is really good yo that's amazing <laughs> and i think in the last few weeks everyone has started using it I think <laughs> it's funny the... you go to the app store it's like number one free app that's been downloaded <laughs> the whole of South africa <laughs> And um, then the last example that I wanted to talk about is the Discovery app. Mm. So um, In Discovery, general, but Discovery in general. So for me, it's specifically the um, vitality part of yes, Discovery. Yes. Um, so Discovery is um, South Africa's biggest healthcare insurance provider. And they've got a rewards and lifestyle kind of package that you can take as part of your healthcare insurance called Vitality. And Vitality is a way that they get their members to actually become more healthy. So it drives healthy behavior. And this is another example where a few years ago, this app, the user interfaces weren't great. It was very unstable and slow when loading up. But they've really improved it over the years, made it much more slicker, made it much more easy to use. And what they really have done well is to create this ecosystem effect. So an ecosystem is when you bring in a lot more than just a single uh, benefit or value to the user. Um, it's almost like you start locking them in because there's so many facets of their life that become like entangled with this experience. Mm. And so what Vitality has done really well is to link your, um, your whole insurance kind of package to your lifestyle. And if you're more fit, you actually get rewarded. They've got a long list of partners where you could get like free smoothies and movie tickets and popcorn and up to electronics and things like that. Mm -hmm. But they've used this very effectively to get people into their app. And now that you're seeing a lot of people in the app, they're starting to push a lot of their marketing and things in the app to tell people about other products that can complement them. Sure. Um, they've also used social... Um, interactions to create more uptake so you can actually link your profile to those of friends mm. and you're like competing with each other to see who's achieving their fitness goals mm. and things like that um, but it really it's just a great ecosystem that creates a lot of stickiness and a lot of opportunities for them to then further engage with their users sure that's interesting it's really done very well um, so I have a question with regard to, it's quite a, a basic question, but I think that a lot of young designers or UXs um, will, will, come, will come against when they come into industry in South Africa. How do you advocate for design in a company or with a client who doesn't who doesn't see the value in it. So say for example, you're a, a young designer and you've been placed on maybe the design of a website something pretty straightforward and simple and you want to spend time doing things like user testing um, you want to do a prototype you want to do, do iterative design um, how do you how do you go about advocating for the time that's required attached to it because it's, it's not just a thing of um, asking them that you can do it it's asking for extra time extra budget to dedicate towards UX which is a sometimes a difficult conversation to have how would you suggest someone would go about doing that in a, in a useful way um, yeah, so the underlying problem typically is that there's a lack of awareness um, mm. from people that make these decisions mm. around the value that UX actually brings mm. to the table. 
So it's very important to win over those stakeholders or the people that make these decisions. And, um, you know, whether it's a single kind of UX department of one person mm. doing that convincing or whether it's a company like Sand Dollar Design coming in and having to convince stakeholders, mm. I would recommend quite a similar process. Um, mm. And that is, you know, when you typically start off, you would get a, a brief or a request to come and just quickly do some screens. We've already kind of built this whole system and we just need someone to quickly design the screens for us. Mm. And um, what I would recommend is to see within the limited kind of scope or time that you have is what are the small aspects of UX design that you can bring in to start showing the value of UX to those stakeholders. So a couple of easy examples would be, um, for example, just having some workshops up front to find out who the target users are um, of this product or service that you're designing. Um, and a very practical tool to then play back those findings to the stakeholders is to create user personas. So I've seen user personas being a very useful tool, not necessarily so much in the design process, although it does help us to get some insights about the users, but more to play back to the stakeholders what the data is that you actually found about the users and whether they've actually thought through who the different types of users are that's going to be using the product and service. Mm. And then they can start questioning themselves whether what they've already decided on in terms of design is actually going to serve these users to the best of its ability. So um, that's one aspect that I would definitely say is try to engage your stakeholders in uncovering who the users are, what insights they've got and whether the decisions they've made up to that point is actually user-centered. Um, and then the second thing to do is bring in some form of usability testing. Mm. So um, usability testing can actually be done in a guerrilla style. So even if you just take an afternoon and you go and speak to five people, you can still get a lot of good insights. Um, you know, you can like go to a coffee shop, offer some free coffees to people and just spend 15, 20 minutes with each of them testing whatever designs you've got and getting those insights. Mm. Um, so that's what we call guerrilla style user testing. Cool. Um, and the one last aspect is um, bringing in prototyping. So um, what you also typically get in organizations with low awareness of user-centered design is um, if you prototype stuff, you're actually playing back their own requirements to them. And by doing that, many times you can illustrate to them that the ideas and stuff they put on the table isn't actually that great or it doesn't always make sense and especially when you start bringing in your personas and a bit of your user testing as data to support it you can then start a conversation about you know shouldn't we invest a bit more time mm. into the user experience of this sure that's valuable uh, yaku thank you so much for joining us on the show today uh, if people wanted to to find out more about Sand Dollar Design or, or get in touch with you, what would be the easiest way that they could do that? So we've got a website. It's called uh, sanddollardesign.co.za. Okay. Um, and you can also find us on LinkedIn. Okay. Um, and you can also find my profile on LinkedIn as well. Okay. So cool. I'm sure you can send those links I'll put them in the show part notes. of the podcast. Okay, cool. Yaku, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. And um, yeah, we'll have you on the show again. Cool. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's been great chatting to you.